Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, Coach Bryant here. Today, we are throwing it back to our episode we did with Mr. Andy Blow from Precision Hydration, where we talk about how to dial in your hydration strategy. Super important aspect is making sure you've got your hydration dialed in. So without further ado, let's jump into that episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches, Being Slouches. We got a good one today. It's the headphone edition. It's the, yeah, we're, we're uh, rocking the headphones because we've got uh, Andy Blow from Precision Hydration, not literally on the couch. He was once on the couch. He's been here before. Uh, he's yep. going to be virtually on the couch. I'm going to put him right here between us. His smiling face. Just gonna put him right between us, with his with his long lockdown locks. With the lockdown locks, <laughs> we're we're gonna chat about hydration. We're gonna get a little deeper today than the typical. Um, we've had a couple of different episodes on hydration uh, last few years. It's mm. kind of been uh, a big focus of ours, and that's been thanks to Andy and his his crew as well. One thing we will drop before we bring Andy in, obviously it's getting hot mm-hmm. this weekend, specifically in the uh, Mid-South, is supposed to be a, a toasty one. Humidity's coming back. It's going to be in the 90s, uh, so it'll probably feel close to 100. So now is the time uh, to get your hydration dialed in, and we will go into why a little bit more. But uh, if you are interested in getting your sweat sodium concentration tested uh, with us, Obviously, give us a shout, buildpeakcompete.com. You can actually book your test. Uh, Forward slash hydration, you can find out details. Yeah. And uh, book your test, and we'll get you dialed in. Yeah, we've, uh, I mean, it's it started a few weeks ago. It was a hot, humid Saturday ride, and like right after that, reading comments on athletes was, yeah. man, I felt horrible. Yeah, I think the we said The cramps it. were coming, like all these indicators, and... Uh, you know, those people actually ended up booking hydration tests. We said it last week pretty much. is when, Once we start seeing the mm-hmm. heart rate threshold notifications come yep. in, one after another, after another, after another, that's when we know it's getting yep. nice and toasty in town. So listen up. Andy's going to uh, help get you all up to speed on the importance of hydration and how to really dial that in. All right. So we're going to bring Andy in here. From across the pond. From his shed. She shed? <laughs> it's my shed, yeah. I'm in the garden today. There you go. Well, we like we said before, we kind of want to get into a little more detailed hydration stuff, just some mostly some specific questions that we continuously get asked uh, during hydration tests and just from athletes in general. Uh, so, you know, we know that um, we know that sweat rate and sweat sodium concentration are kind of like the big pieces of the puzzle here um my first question to you is is whiskey a good hydrator well based on my experiences of visiting you guys it works for (laughs) it works for a while and actually it seems to improve everything for a while and you just get way better at stuff and then and then all of a sudden it goes the other way 
just like a yeah, it's, it's like, like a that bell curve, right? You got that bell <laughs> curve where it's going up, and then suddenly. Well, 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 I tell you, it's a bit like my my brother's a skateboarder. He does skateboarding and surfing, that kind of thing, and he's like adamant that one to one and a half beers, for example, like makes you makes you a way better skateboarder. But then he says two, three onwards. It's a big drop off. Yeah, that's that's probably the same with whiskey and hydration. Risk reward, really. (laughs) Uh, All right, so we we got the two pieces: uh, sweat sodium concentration and sweat rate. So um, we we know sweat rate is is a big important thing, but why is sweat sodium concentration such an important metric uh, to have? I think the the biggest reason understanding your sweat sodium concentration is important is because the range in different people is so huge. So you there's this is all about individualization because you could be on the on the far left of our bell curve with with someone who's got very dilute sweat. If you're only losing 200 milligrams of of sodium in every liter that you sweat out, then it takes you, even with a high sweat rate, it's going to take you ages to work up a sodium deficit. In fact, you know, you can go for hours and hours without doing so. If you flip to the other end of the curve where you and I are, Dale, you know, yeah. 2000 milligrams or close to it, then you can be running a sodium deficit within a couple of hours if you're in the extreme heat and if you've got a high sweat rate. So it's a huge factor in determining what your hydration electrolyte replacement needs are going to be you know, and gets compounded by your sweat rate. So you can't really have an intelligent conversation about one of those factors without bringing the other one in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, uh, you know, personally, Brian and I both are somewhere can be in the, in the heat of the summer, somewhere in the two and a half to three liter an hour sweat rate. Uh, and then personally I'm in that close to that 1500 milligram per liter, uh, sweat sodium concentration. So, I mean, I've done 45 minute crits and been totally like on the ground, like dizzy, like feeling like garbage afterwards. And for the longest time it was surprising, but then figuring out all this stuff, you know, it, it, it became a little bit more, you you just just do the simple math, you know, and you figure out that, man, you can be unloading a ton of sodium in a short amount of time. And and the thing about the environment you guys live in is that that isn't just when you're actively exercising as well. That's just being outside and doing stuff. Cause I know that we've, we've spoken before about people that are working outdoors and you'll have, you'll have athletes who are doing busy jobs, manual jobs, um, or just, just on the go all day long in that kind of heat and humidity. The, the amount that you can sweat and the amount of salt you can lose just during an average day is, is pretty high. If, if you've got a high sodium concentration, then you compound that by going training in the evening. And it's easy to see how, you know, you can, you can fall behind on that. If you, if you don't know what you're keeping up with. Yeah. Yeah. I think our, our low a test, our low test is like what? Three, three upper seven. threes, 375, yeah. maybe something yeah. close to that. And then the, our highest test is like 1960 something. Yeah. Uh, you know, so just, picturing the range there as compared to the average person uh sweat rate in the summer here is you know it it could be one liter it could be three liters so a a much you know while it compounds it's a much smaller range as compared to sweat sodium concentration absolutely yeah yeah it's when you get and it's it's when you get on that higher range of the sweat sodium plus the higher range of the sweat 
output when you really start to see the the big numbers of loss because you know a lot of people we're recommended to eat you know depending on where you live somewhere between like two and a half thousand and four thousand milligrams of sodium a day normally and that for you or i is gone in two hours of exercise quite comfortably yeah so we're on we're on a totally different scale and there's that that whole thing about people's fear and aversion to sodium which has been kind of like bred into us by health messaging around sodium is bad for you it'll elevate your blood pressure and yeah. that that message which is like actually really quite probably is quite applicable to a lot of people who are sedentary don't do a lot of exercise don't do a lot of sweating is completely flipped on its head when it comes to athletes and one of the we've we've noticed increasingly an amount of athletes that come to us who've been having problems if they've been trying to eat really clean yeah. you know and trying yeah. to you know, not eating enough sodium and thinking that it's actually kind of even if they feel a bit a bit crappy when they're eating low sodium, they think it's maybe oh, I've got to adapt to this. This is just one of those things I've got to adapt to this, so I'll you know keep keep it going. And and actually, what you find is that those people, as soon as you put the salt back in the diet, when you put the electrolytes back in the sports drinks, it's like a a switch is flicked, yeah, and the performance goes back up again for sure. So let me ask you this: This is another question we get a lot. Um, does your sodium intake affect, you know, between sodium intake and like just different conditions, does the sweat sodium concentration change over time or with, you know, high and low sodium diets? That is, that is a brilliant question. Cause we get asked that one all the time as well. So to, it, and it's not, a, it's not a quick answer, although the quick version of the answer is for all practical purposes. Yeah, yeah, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. The quick, the quick answer is for all practical purposes, your sweat sodium probably doesn't change much for you as, as an individual and certainly not enough to warrant, you know, once you know it for you to, to warrant major changes in what you might do about your hydration strategy or your sodium intake. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because, the physiology behind it is is pretty straightforward. Sweat comes from your blood plasma, and your blood plasma is very salty. So, and also every human that's upright and walking around, with almost no exceptions, their blood plasma sodium is the same because it's regulated. It's very very tightly controlled. So the pool of we know that the pool of, of plasma that so, that sweat's drawn from has about three thousand six hundred milligrams of sodium per liter in it. It's a very salty liquid. That that liquid moves into the sweat glands, goes out into the skin, and then evaporates. But as part of that process, the sweat glands are clever, and the body's clever because it wants to conserve sodium, so it reabsorbs some of it. And the amount that it reabsorbs is has a huge genetic component. So that's what drives the major difference between, say, you and I and this person that you've tested who's losing a tiny bit of sodium in their sweat is that they've just got sweat glands that work phenomenally well to re reclaim that sodium. So when we do a sweat test, what we're kind of figuring out is how well do your sweat glands work at reabsorbing salt? And that's fairly fixed. Now, the exceptions to that come when you get into really extreme scenarios. So there has been research done, a lot of it back in the 30s and 40s, where they, they sodium deprived people. So it's really hard to deprive people of sodium if you let them live in the free world and and have access to normal food so what they did was locked a bunch of people in this house voluntarily <laughs> made them sweat a lot so they put them in hot baths and saunas and got them to sweat loads of uh, salt out they fed them food that was like boiled three times and washed to get rid of all the sodium in it which sounds 
like a horrendous Horrible. diet. Yeah. yeah. They gave them as much water as they wanted to drink. And then they sort of did a load of measurements. And what they found was really interesting. Your body knows that it needs a lot of salt. So as soon as you stop putting salt in, what your body does is cuts off salt loss. And it does that primarily with the kidneys and your urine. So they were measuring how much salt was in their urine, how much sodium they were peeing out. And within a few hours of stopping eating salt, that virtually that dropped. And within a day or so, I think it dropped to zero or close to zero. So your body's, your kidneys switch on and go, right, we're going to reclaim all this sodium, keep it in the body. We're not going to pee any out. Then a few days later, they were measuring sweat during this time. And at first, you just keep sweating out salt. You keep sweating out salt. But eventually, you get to a point where the body get is like desperate times, desperate measures, and it starts to cut down the amount of sodium that you lose in your sweat. So your sweat does become more dilute. But interestingly, by that point, these people are virtually like these people are ill. You know, they're yeah, fatigued yeah. and weak. They're cramping. They can hardly get out of bed. You read the you read the descriptions in the papers that were written. It sounds horrendous. Sounds and like, then well, sounds like torture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and also because of the extreme lengths they had to go to to lower that sweat sodium by reducing salt in their diet, that's not something which we would typically find normal people would do. Yeah. Because A, it's really hard to because you have to you have to be so careful about what you eat not to get any sodium. Yeah. B, like who's gonna do that when they're training and performing? It's it's just not a realistic scenario. So that what and interestingly, what they found was as soon as they reintroduced sodium into the diet, then they worked out what that kind of deficit was, how much sodium they reckon they'd lost. And then it wasn't until the people had consumed all of that sodium back that they started to see sodium coming back into the urine and back into the sweat. So when the body, the body had like, it's so finely tuned to what levels you've got and what it needs, it's effectively tops itself back up and then the process of elimination starts all over again. Hey, body smart. Yeah, Body smart. Knows what it's doing exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's it's incredibly smart, and that's and that's why we say to people, you know, the the game here with hydration with sodium fluid replacement isn't to know all these exact figures and numbers. You don't need to because your body's doing the hard hard yards. You know, it you need to get it roughly right, and the way to get it roughly right is understand what you're putting out, have an understanding and appreciation of what you can realistically absorb and what's compatible with you know, performance and the, the, the logistics of the race, you know, you can often, for example, you can often drink quite a bit more in a bike race than you can in an ultra marathon, just because of the way it's set up, what you've got to carry and stuff. Yeah. But you, you just need to get those, those ballpark figures and then, and then get it close. If you get it close, the body will be totally fine. It's when people are way up, when the needle is way in the wrong direction that they suffer the adverse consequences. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really, really good point because uh, even when we do, well, well, let's just put it this way. Endurance athlete, athletes are inherently like analytical and want to know exactly. We don't want a ballpark number. I want to know exactly what yeah. uh, I need to do. And if a little's good, a lot is a whole lot better. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so... We get that. We get that all the time. Like, well, just just tell me exactly what I need to. You know, we're giving like you know we give them tested and they do a sweat sweat rate test and we have this like fantastic ballpark and well here's where here's where we need to start. Go out and do it. If you're not having a problem, we're good. Go with it. Like but, exactly. But they want to know like so much detail and it's just like you said, your body will do the hard work as long as you get close. Yeah. And and Brian to Brian's point, you know about the kind of oh well, 
I'll take a load of that or whatever. The typical response we see sometimes is people go along fine, 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 have a little problem, have a big problem, and then everything's got to change because they've had this big problem. And it's like, if it was a hydration problem, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to triple the amount of sodium I'm taking. I'm going to triple the amount of water that I'm drinking or halve it. Or instead of the game being actually a lot more subtle than that. And it's being more subtle is painful because it's be it means being more painstaking it means getting yourself a little spreadsheet out and recording okay I, I drank this and i took this much sodium and this is how i felt and then doing it again and again and just moving the moving the dial a little bit and as you've said the getting in that ballpark that's what the testing's for mm-hmm. you know basically the testing gets you to that point where you then we can get you with the testing and a, and a hydration plan we can get you nine tenths of the way there and that final tenth is that tweaking process yeah. yeah i think that was kind of the biggest surprise i guess you'd say for me like when i first got into endurance sports you know you have your gatorades and your power aids that are like so popular so mainstream yeah and you just assume okay that's a sports drink i'm getting what i need from that but really the 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 variety of needs and and why we can't just tell one person like hey this is exactly what you should be drinking without or not even exactly but um without actually going and finding out well what is your sweat sodium concentration and how much are you sweating out um and even your needs over the course of a of a single workout session can be vastly different depending on external conditions so there's just a lot of factors in there um, but doing a sweat sodium concentration test is is huge in helping a person really get much closer to what they need to be doing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, it could be it could be down to the, you know, are you doing short course races? Or are you do you know? There's a lot of other factors that are involved here uh, rather than just hey, tell me what to tell me what to drink. It just yeah. it doesn't really work well, like that. But you, you'll know this from coaching and you, I know you guys have got a, a good amount of expertise in bike fitting and that kind of thing as well. In, when, when you stand on the outside and look in, you don't really know the, the complexities of a, of, a, of a task like that. Everyone wants the kind of the cliff notes version, the quick, you know, hydration for dummies or whatever. And, and it's not until you actually get into it, study it, play around with it, tweak it, and actually genuinely understand it, that you get that that actual usable, useful knowledge. Yeah. And and a lot of elite athletes or experienced athletes gain that knowledge, maybe even without realising it, just over years and years and years, because elite athletes are, as well as being you know, genetically talented and everything else, they tend to be the people that that do things a little bit better. They do things iteratively, they measure stuff, they, you know, they repeat things yeah. and they learn from it. And they do this intuitively what this what the testing does in this case is it enables you to kind of skip out some of the the wider ranging testing and get it into that narrow zone so that mm-hmm. you you don't have to rely on 10 years of experience to yeah. to get it right yeah it really is the easy button uh, yeah. for the most part oh, for so sure. so you like you met a little while ago you mentioned absorption and so yeah. around here with people easily sweating two and a half three liters an hour in the in the thick of the summer uh, like talk a little bit about the, that tipping point where you can't physically intake the fluid that you're losing. And does that mean that we need to tweak how much sodium or electrolyte is in your, in your fluids? 
Yeah. As you've mentioned, if you're so, so sweat, you can easily sweat to two and a half, three liters an hour. If you're, if you're going hard in the heat and yet your gastric uh, um, emptying rate, your absorption rate in the gut, probably for most people, isn't going to exceed one, maybe pushing one and a half liters an hour, you know, and that's, and I've seen, I've very rarely seen anyone who can comfortably drink that amount. Generally, we would say to people, the ceiling is close to a litre an hour for, yeah. for the average person. And that's because that's partly because when you exercise, you get less blood flow than you normally get to your gut. So it, you're, you're trying to absorb into kind of a stressful situation because you obviously need the blood flow there to pull the fluid across and you're not getting it because you because it's going elsewhere. So you're always in this this losing battle situation. So in the heat, first thing is always start well hydrated. And that doesn't mean drinking tons and tons of water before you go. That means, you know, high levels of electrolytes to pull extra water into your bloodstream in the hour before you go to make sure that you're topped up. And then, honestly, in those kind of hot weather conditions and extreme humidity, high sweat rates, it becomes that battle almost of like how much can you comfortably get in and absorb and how long can you sustain that deficit? And what we what we found tends to work with some people if their losses are extremely high, as you alluded to, is maybe a little bit more sodium in the fluid because that enables the body to that that creates the osmotic drive for it to go. The sodium moves into the bloodstream and pulls fluid with it and holds it there rather than just constantly diluting and diluting yourself. And, you know, there is always this point. I've worked with a few elite athletes now particularly guys preparing for Kona who have off the chart sweat rates. And you kind of get to this point where without being defeatist, it just, it just becomes a competitive disadvantage for them. Sure. There's, a, there's a disadvantage. I remember when we did a seminar with your team a few years ago, there's a lady spoke to us about a low sweat rate and how she couldn't sweat enough and was finding it hard to cool. And that can be a problem. If your sweat rate's really low, you know, you can suffer in the heat because you don't cool enough. So the body tends to sweat more when we go exercise in the heat. But up, but up to a certain point, that's good. Beyond a certain point, you are, again, just like chucking fluid and sodium out and, yeah. and not getting it back. So as you get into those upper echelons, if you're that, if you're that kind of person who knows that on a hot day, you're already having to drink two or three bottles an hour, then you probably the next place you want to go looking is a bit more sodium in those fluids rather than more fluid because that'll help hopefully help get it into your system a bit easier. Yeah, for sure. And I think the uh, big thing you stated there and a mistake so many people make was on the front end where people think, oh, it's going to be a hot day. I'm going to need a lot of fluids. And you go to the kitchen sink and just chug a bunch of water. Mm. But that's that's a problem in and of itself. So make sure you heard him clearly when he said you want to be taking in those electrolytes yeah. in that in that preload process. I, I would always say, uh, and don't be afraid. You know, the night before you go on a big ride or a big run at the weekend, Friday night, a bit of extra salt on your food, that kind of thing doesn't definitely doesn't do a lot of harm. If you know you're going to go out and sweat for four or five hours, mm -hmm. then yeah. that's kind of an insurance policy. We we just reviewed a, a paper that was published in 2019 that was that looked at the um, blood sodium levels in ultra runners doing the spartathon in greece which is about 150 miles i think in very hot conditions and like 10 percent of the starters there turned up and had their blood drawn on the line at the start and were, were already hyponatremic so they were low on sodium right. now the only 
the only plausible explanation in my head for that is that they've just been because they know it's going to be a long hot race is they've been smashing water for two yeah. days yeah and and because because if you took if you i'm pretty sure if you went out on the street and took the blood sodium levels of temp of, of a bunch of people you're not going to find 10 percent of them are walking around hyponatremic yeah. but but you tell athletes prepare hydrate yeah and you you're risking that that overcompensation yeah. thing yeah they automatically assume that they it's like hydration and and water it's like yeah they, they only put those two together uh when you know for myself like i have to have like i i preload with at least a liter prior to mm. a race and, yeah. and and have to have it and it's all got and you know, that's 1500 milligrams of sodium before you even get going you know and it well, may, i believe the recommendation was also mexican food I yeah think i heard that in there <laughs> yeah with the extra yeah. sodium Chips on your salsa. food yeah <laughs> yeah prior to race <laughs> uh but yeah if you don't like if you're if you're just smashing in water, you're just diluting, diluting, diluting. And then again, if you, if you reduce sodium in your food, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, if you're a high sweat sodium concentration person, it's just, it's a, you're asking for issues. Uh, Absolutely. Been been there, done that. So, uh, yeah. So let me ask you this. Like you, you're talking about adding sodium and preloading and stuff like that, just to to kind of reiterate, uh, it is very hard to overdo sodium as an endurance athlete. Like doing lots of exercise, uh, like how hard is it actually to get hypernatremic? To get hypernatremic is pretty tough. Um, that's that, and that's not a challenge because endurance athletes, yeah. you know, they love a challenge, and. No. I've, like to brian's comment earlier about you know people will do 10x you know whatever you, uh-huh. you tell them to do or whatever i would always caveat that with like look let's let's not say it's it's impossible to to go there and do too much but <laughs> it's, it's not a challenge it is, it is a little bit harder because your kidneys are very very adept at flushing extra sodium out so if you eat that's that's what i was talking about earlier with the the early studies you know of they measure sodium um, output in your urine when they do a, a study on how much sodium you're eating because any excess is pretty quickly got rid of as long as you've got healthy kidneys then you'll pump it out so yeah. hypernatremia like there was a case a famous case of a guy who drank a quart of soy sauce for a bet and soy sauce is <laughs> it's very very salty you know like i think it's like three or four times saltier than seawater it's yeah, got which is like 35 grams per liter yes seawater yeah 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 and it's way saltier than that so this guy like chugs this quart of soy sauce feels a bit unwell goes into a coma no um, into hospital and fortunately they've managed to they figure out what's going on and pump a load of i think they just pumped effectively a very you know like water or or you know they diluted his blood back down again because what happens when you hypernatremia obviously is high blood sodium levels and then what you get is you get a rush of water from the intracellular space in the body into the bloodstream to try and dilute that down so you get this you get sh- all the cells in the body just like shrinking shriveling damn it getting damaged it's just catastrophe and and he was lucky that he he got away with it but unless you're going to do something as crazy as that like severely overdoing 
the sodium is a bit more tricky because your body's got quite an aversion to it. So we've all done that thing at the Mexican restaurant where you kind of reach the point where you've had enough salt, you know, because the chips, maybe, maybe not for Brian, but the, the chips just don't taste as good anymore. And that's, that's the first line of defense because your body, you know, when you go in there and you are a little bit salt depleted, chips are the best tasting thing in the world. Oh, yeah. And then you have a handful of them and you have a bit more and, and sooner or later it does, you know, that even if you don't get an aversion to it, the enjoyment factor diminishes rapidly. So overdoing, overdoing the sodium is, is is trickier because of that but also like i say as long as your kidneys are working healthy and this isn't an incitement to just go go hard with the sodium but if you have a little bit more in the build-up to a race i would always suggest that's probably more prudent than having a little bit less yeah so like we i get this all the time with people that they they say that they feel they feel swollen and then they equate that somehow to having too much sodium. I don't know where this came from, but you want to squash that? <laughs> well, I can partly squash it. I think though there are cases where we've seen a few athletes. So we saw a very, a very good case of an athlete who was a low sodium guy, like 250, 300 milligrams a liter and a relatively yeah. low sweat rate. And this guy was a pro grand tour cyclist, you know, who's, in the Vuelta Espana one year, very hot year, and his team sort sort of think this is hot. They they start putting way more sodium in the drinks for everyone, and he did start to get. So he gained weight in the first week of the the Vuelta, and that was sodium related fluid retention yeah. because he's like drinking a lot, loads, of, and they took him off the drink. They figure it out, you know, take him off the drinks. His weight starts to normalize, so it can happen. You know, you can you can get that, but often. With with endurance exercise and fluid retention and stuff, quite often there's a big implication for things like kidney damage because when you do really hard long endurance exercise, you 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 get a load of proteins released into the bloodstream, you know, from damaged muscle fibers, stuff. You you gum up your kidneys, you aren't able to, you know, they're not able to process fluid as well, and that's often where people can get swelling, and it that can be made worse by you know perversely by dehydration even though you're, you're gaining fluid but you're not gaining fluid in the right places so you're kind of becoming dehydrated but but you've got extracellular fluid buildup so i think feeling puffy like that is is a sign that something's out of whack and then you need to go back and look at okay what have i been doing that's 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 created that it could be like not enough sodium but it could also be way too much sodium yeah. it's definitely a sign that you're not in the right zone so we've like uh, to some extent too, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but it could be like like heat edema where there the sun exposure is is creating you know kind of a, a swelling. Absolutely, you do you get that especially when you're in the early phase of adaptation to the heat. So if you go somewhere hot, or if for you guys you've had a mild phase, and then all of a sudden bang, the like temperature needle goes up one weekend, everyone's falling apart because you know you haven't had time to acclimate then that that can definitely occur uh, i think the the main thing with it is it, what one thing i find it really useful for athletes to do and not enough people do this is getting regular tabs on like your morning 
weight, your morning body weight, because I understand why some athletes don't want to, if, especially if they are conscious about their weight, they don't want to be weighing themselves all the time. But at the same time, having that metric on whether your weight's kind of bouncing around quite a lot, if it, it if there's a, obviously it trends up if you're gaining weight and it trends down over time if you're losing weight, but on a day-to-day basis, any significant variation from one day to the next is largely often fluid deficit or gain. And I think if you if you're getting swollen and puffy and that kind of thing, and seeing like large spikes in weight gain and that sort of thing, that could be a sign that it's to do with sodium and fluid intake as opposed to other factors. And so that can be a useful exercise to go through if 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 you've got people who are seeing that on a regular basis. Gotcha. Well, let, let me uh, let me ask you this. I've been wanting to ask this question for a while. Uh, this is a personal question. Yeah, I, I'm sure other people go go through this, but and I've mentioned it to you before, but uh, like I, I'm pretty diligent about hydration and yet I will still wake up in the morning feeling hungover and, you know, peeing a like dark color, even though I drank plenty of fluids the night before. Sounds like this relates back to that whiskey question. Even though I, I, I haven't let me finish, <laughs> even though let me finish, even though I haven't touched uh-huh. any alcohol the the day prior what's up with that good question the the honest answer is you're not you're not going to suddenly dehydrate overnight if you go to bed reasonably well hydrated then you 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 are not going to unless unless you know your aircon's broken and it's like 95 and 90 humidity you're not gonna you're not gonna have that um there's nothing that's going to cause you to lose a ton of fluid overnight. Cause we got asked that question a while ago and Abby, our sports scientist did a bit of reading into it to, to kind of think, well, actually, is there anything that could go on here? So the chances are that what is actually happening there is there's a bit of accumulated dehydration during the day. You're drinking, you know, you are drinking a lot and, and, and trying to keep up. But if, if for example, you're, you know, you're becoming, because you've got two lots of fluid in the body. You've got intracellular fluid where most of your fluid stores are, and then you've got extracellular fluid, your bloodstream and all the rest of it. When you drink, you top up your extracellular system initially because it goes into your bloodstream. Now, if you're not then overnight, I think what tends to happen is your body recalibrates and it probably it's probably taking extracellular fluid and topping up the intracellular fluid reservoir and stores. And therefore you could then wake up in the morning and you're like, your, your body's trying to conserve fluid because you are from an extracellular perspective, a little bit more dehydrated. And so that would still be a sign probably of inadequate fluid and, and sodium intake the previous day. So that would be the number one thing to, to look at. You're not, you're not buying that one. Though. No, no, honest. That's, that is a, that's more or less what I've equated it to. But uh, you know, it's like you get to the end of the day and you're, you're, taking in plenty of fluids so it's gotten to the point where i'm like i'm not thirsty anymore and i don't want to drink anymore and then it just you know yeah you you go to bed and and things shift you know uh, fluid shifts between the blood and cells and yeah then you you end up waking up in the morning super thirsty and uh you know uh, so, so a really interesting way to to check that would be to weigh yourself before you go to bed and in the morning and obviously see because if that weight is approximately the same but you're feeling hydrated when you go to sleep and dehydrated when you wake up the chances are that is probably predominantly fluid shift because you haven't got a net fluid loss 
So that would be an interesting yeah. experiment to do a few times, I reckon. I could do it. I'm going to do it. Make it happen. I'm going to do it. And m- maybe stop sleeping with that weighted blanket. <laughs> yeah, we won't go. <laughs> it's not my choice. <laughs> uh, so let's go here. So just so we can, we can at least have some um, kind of uh, actionable stuff for people uh, what, like, if you had to, you know, I know we're talking about everything's very individualized, but if you had to give the majority a starting point based on tests and, and all the stuff you guys are doing, where would that, where would that be? So for fluid volume, I would say for endurance athletes, if we talk real averages, which are, which are horrible things because, yeah. you know, that we deviate a long way from the averages, but just to give people who have no idea, like a calibration on the numbers, I would say if you're drinking, if you're if you're exercising for multiple hours, especially if it's warm or hot, because that's what people are interested in. No one's too bothered about hydration plans for the cold. You know, yeah. it's about when it gets warmer or, or hotter. Yeah. If you're drinking less than about 500 mils or 16 ounces per hour, that for me is on the lower end of where anyone should be most of the time. Because we know that the average kind of adult sweat rate in warm conditions when you're doing aerobic endurance stuff is a, is close to a liter an hour and it can be well well north of that so something around that 16 ounces 500 mils an hour is the lower end of what most people should start experimenting at and that's if you think you're a low sweater if it's not too hot you know all that kind of thing going to the other end for fluid volume if you're very very hot you know if you're a very sweaty person who thinks that dehydration is holding you back then I would start experimenting with somewhere around 32 ounces or a litre per hour. And then for everyone else, it's kind of between those two markers. So it's a fairly narrow range. You know, you probably don't want to be less than 16, much less than 16 ounces an hour, but you don't want to be vastly more than 32 ounces an hour for the majority of the time. So I'd say low start there, high start there. And then with sodium, a low amount of sodium to take per hour, especially if you're doing only a few a few hours or low amount of hours of activity is anything close to you know anything down as far as zero basically there'll be plenty of people who can get through a couple of hours three hours with with zero intake now whether that's optimal for their recovery afterwards is another question but not everyone needs to take a ton of sodium when they're exercising if if we go right to the other end and go what's someone who loses a ton of sodium going to need to take per hour very few athletes that I find need to take more than 1500 milligrams per hour. So if you're already up at that end or close to it, then, and you're still having problems, going looking for the solution to those problems with more sodium is probably not a great idea. You've probably got to look elsewhere. So that kind of gives you that, that bandwidth. And I would say, you know, for that average athlete, long distance endurance stuff in the heat, seven, eight, 900 milligrams of sodium an hour is a good target to start playing around with if you've got no you know crampers people with very high sweat rates go north of that people with lighter sweat losses or people who just don't have perceived problems in the heat you can go south of that yeah and uh, i know you don't like throwing other uh companies under the bus but i'll do it uh <laughs> in in the sense of this the the sodium concentration of something like brian brought up like well water would be zero uh for the yeah. most part trace amounts and then uh, you know, something like a typical off the shelf, ready to drink Gatorade, Powerade, all that kind of stuff. You're talking like 500 milligrams per liter tops. I mean, yeah. some of the endurance formulas are just slightly higher, but, uh, yeah, I think for- endurance it gives you like 700 or, or so 700 uh, milligrams an hour, uh, a liter, yeah. something like that. 
But most of the stuff in the store is somewhere, I think it's between 420 and yeah. 500 per, per liter, uh, which in our experience in this area, the athletes we've tested is vastly lower than the average. Definitely, yeah. Af- average would be like nine hundred to a thousand. Yeah, it's right. a bit like having your, it's a bit like having your whiskey at like twenty percent alcohol. You know, <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know what that's, that's like. called a wine cooler, <laughs> 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 a spritzer. Uh, so, we're like so a ton of people are have been in lockdown. People are are still a little bit hesitant to do. You know, we're opening up maybe a little bit more than you guys are, and we're. But we're also we may be going backwards here in a second. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, people are training indoors way more than they have yeah. been. So, you know, we've talked about it a little bit um, in a sense of just saying, "Hey, it's it can be just as hot and humid in your pain cave uh, as it can outside in the summer." So, what? Uh, just reiterate some of the the tips that you have for people who are training you know especially multiple hours indoor or doing vr racing or anything like that so what have you guys been been putting out on that yeah it's a good question because indoor training even in if you go like for like on temperature and humidity and stuff indoor training is obviously way worse for sweat loss because you haven't got the airflow even with a really good set with fans i think tip number one is get loads of fans because you you you're only going to – I talked to the guys who run the platform Trainer Road, you know, the um, the online thing yep. there, and yep. they they almost, like, talk about they've got all these these high-powered fans and things, and it's almost like a kind of indoor training doping if you get the fans right because yep. you can keep your core body temperature down, the wattage outputs go up, the heart rates come down. You can see it in the physiological metrics. Basically, really powerful fans keep – reduce the the cardiovascular strain of training indoors which means that if you've not already got that if you take that away then 200 watts i I sat on the bike at you know 220 watts this morning with without the fan on in here and you just see your heart rate drifting after a while because you just and the sweat's pouring so so for any unit of time plus the relentlessness of the trainer in that you don't get the coasting the freewheeling the change in pace i think those two factors mean that expect to sweat quite a bit more per hour than you would outdoors and therefore but the good thing is you're indoors so you can have your full you know you can hydrate to your heart's content you can have it all set up and make sure that you're keeping on top of it because i got through a session there on there this morning quite easily just by drinking the thirst because it was a short session but if you if i was on there for two three hours and then want to go out and do a training session in the evening or something you've got to make sure that you're you're drinking more than you need to to get through that individual session, if that makes sense. Otherwise, the deficit you build up training indoors is massive. Yeah. Oh, I've definitely uh, came close to uh, dropping out after a uh, a trainer session just just because I didn't drink. I, I thought I drank enough, uh, but, you know, you think, oh, I'm indoors. I'm not being exposed to the sun. Uh you think it's not as hot. The thermostat, yeah. Yeah, set at your your house is set at seventy four, mm. like or yeah, yeah. whatever. So you know, you know, it's it's supposed to be that temperature inside, and that's pleasant. Yeah, and then you know, so I don't maybe don't need as many electrolytes, and I'll just drink one bottle of water, and then I'll go to electrolytes, and then you know, two two hours in on a on a turbo session, and 
you're getting off like almost falling to the ground. Well, the big the big clue is that the sweat. What does the sweat do? You know, when you indulge, you see it. It drips off, and when sweat drips off, it doesn't take any heat with it. Whereas when you're outdoors, you get that constant movement of air, which is what's causing that evaporative effect, which is taking the heat away. So, and and to your point there, you know, intervals and stuff indoors are obviously what people do a lot of the time, which then jack up your heat production a lot more, which is then going to increase you. Because we all, I would say nine, nine out of 10 people ride a, a shitload harder on that thing than you do outdoors for the, for the unit of time. So all of the factors yeah. conspire to make it hotter and sweatier, basically. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the last kind of last topic we wanted to get into is a kind of we, we get this quite a bit because when we do tests, we're, we're going over hydration strategies and none of them include calories in the bottle. And so yeah. then we then we get the follow up question. Well, if I'm only drinking electrolytes and fluid uh, where am I going to get my calories from? How do I, like, how am I going to get calories and fluid and electrolytes balance it all out? Um, you know, and, and still, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep energy up and stay hydrated. So, so we've been working on this, on this question a lot, because for the same reason as you, we started out hydration plans and then it always ends up, how do we integrate that with nutrition? And there's like there's there's so many different ways to skin that cat that we decided to look at it from a real what can we boil this down to to make it as simple as possible, and we we started to analyse the intake of athletes that we're working with and we go right well when you really break this down there's three things when you do an endurance activity there's three acute costs of that activity to the body, you've got the calories that you burn mainly in the form of glycogen carbohydrate. You've got the fluid that you lose in your sweat. And if it goes on for a significant amount of time, you've got the salt that you, or the sodium you lose in your sweat. So those three levers, we call them, you know, you need to pull those three levers to the right magnitude for you to replace a proportion of what you're losing. Because when you start exercising, you're, if you do it right, your glycogen levels are topped up, your fluid levels are topped up, your salt levels are topped up. And we can accept a level of drop in those. And then... What, it's, what it all boils down to is getting those three levels right for you as an individual. And the carbohydrate one is probably actually the most simple one to dial in because we can give some pretty good guidance on what people should start with. And then it's just a case of tweaking it up and down based on your pace and stuff. But if you're doing stuff for, you know, two hours, one to two hours, because below an hour, you know, energy intake is sort of neither here nor there. But between one and two hours, 30, 30 grams an hour is a good starting point for most people, which equates to like an energy gel or something like that or an energy bar. It's just like one standard commercial sports nutrition product is, is probably going to get you in that ballpark. You go up to kind of like two, three, four hours, and maybe that goes up to more like 60 grams an hour. And that is that is an indication of the fact that beyond two hours, you kind of, if you don't take anything in, you will rip through the glycogen stores in your body. So then it becomes a bit more of like a one in one out type game. Yeah. And then beyond that, if you, if you're, if you're pretty fast and you're going for five, six, seven, eight hours or whatever, you know, like you're, you're smashing it for an Ironman or something. We know from reports from athletes and from the science out there that 
that as much as 90 or 100 grams of carbohydrate an hour can be beneficial if you can get it in and digest it. And the things that change those numbers, so if you use 30, 60, 90 as is the basic starting points, then adjust them downwards if you're a little bit slower than average, if you're a little bit smaller than average, and adjust them upwards if you're a little bit bigger than average or you're moving a little bit faster. And I think once you've got those numbers dialed in, they're not going to change a ton, you know, unless your fitness level changes dramatically or, you know, some some other unforeseen things. So then you've got your carbohydrate amount. And, and really, they're not going to change a lot, hot to cold, you know, altitude to sea level, whatever it is, you kind of your carbohydrate burn rate is relatively constant. There is some argument that in short activities in extreme heat which you guys would come up against like a an olympic distance triathlon in memphis maybe yeah. you might burn a bit more carbohydrate so you might up your levels in that but once you start getting into the longer distances it's all it's all much of a much this it's about how much you can absorb yeah. so then you've got you've got that sort of pillar you've got that lever locked in then you're looking at fluid and sodium and of course they're all over the map because of individual differences and because of environmental conditions so you know you you might on a cold day be three two three four hundred milliliters of fluid an hour it might be that low if it's super cold and you've not got a high sweat rate and you're doing a long event where it's not it's not a massive energy output you might be really low it could be though like we talked about before you're up at the kind of one 1.2 liters per hour if it's hot humid you're working hard and it's about you know, calibrating where you sit on that scale. And then it's the same with the sodium. And I think the problem with, with fueling and hydration plans is that people get very caught up on different brands. They get very caught up on little spurious things like the latest and greatest thing. Not that I'm having a pop at them, but like the Morton thing of like slow release. And yeah. now we've got cluster dextrin and we've got all these other things that are coming. So People love to like talk about the the minutiae and the the all of the the detail, but what they don't know is how many grams of carb do I need an hour, how many milliliters of fluid, and how many milligrams of sodium. Because if you get those three things roughly right, like yeah. we're talking about right at the start, the body will just go great, know yeah. what to do with that, yeah, and and perform. So if you can hit those three levers. And we've just put a blog about this on our website. So if people want to get the numbers and things, they can just hit hit the Precision Hydration website and look in the blog for the um, the fundamentals of endurance nutrition. And it's just like, you know, get – if if what I love to do now is if we talk to an athlete, the first challenge for them is like, okay, well, tell me how many grams of carbs do you normally take an hour? How many mils of fluid? How many milligrams of sodium? Because if you don't know that stuff, we've got to go, we've got to go and find out, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just had one of our uh, one of the latest people I I did a sweat test on, um, who got done with a ride and it was like a death march. He said, you know, last two hours yeah. of his ride was just was was horrible. Um, one of the first hot days we had uh, about a month ago, and uh, we ended up you know doing the sweat sodium test on him. Um, ended up putting him on the the pH fifteen hundred uh, tabs for his very next long ride. And he had gone where he didn't ride for four days because he felt so horrible yeah. after that hot day. And I got a text uh, when he was done with his ride that following Saturday after dialing in the amount of fluid a little better and uh, especially getting 
what was in his drink correct and he was like you know this is is amazing and i didn't realize i could get done with a ride tired but not feeling like i wanted to die like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i need to lay on the couch or like you know just in such a horrible state he's like this is he's like i'm so excited for the rest of the summer because i know <laughs> i haven't felt like this after a ride before yeah 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 and you're right people endurance athletes are tough you know generally we, we put up with a lot and yeah. so people people put up with feeling like absolute crap after some of these sessions because you're not getting your carbohydrates your fluids or your salts right like and i'm not saying you won't ever feel tired after a ride or or beat up after a race but we once you've felt the difference of kind of getting those things right there's there's kind of a difference between that nice fatigue tiredness of having done some good hard work versus where you've just depleted and battered your body exactly. and you've got to give it you know four days as you said to get over it mm-hmm. that's a different thing yeah go real quick go into like we did have a question about post rehydration and how uh this person uh, one of our athletes cliff uh he says he feels like so much better if he if he does basically a preload or a post rehydration with the 1500 right after yeah. the ride you know it's we've we've often called it like the the honeydew guarantee so like you get done you you take it you rehydrate much quicker and then you have actually have energy to get the list done for the rest of the day and get your brownie points and exactly yeah you know, versus laying no. on the couch yeah, yeah. Well, the, I, I chatted to someone about this yesterday, and it was we we described it. You know, when I do, if I go out for my long run on a Saturday, typically at the moment, it's not super long. It's like ninety minutes or something. I make sure I mix up a, a bottle of pH fifteen hundred in the fridge before I go, so that there's no thinking about it when I get back. I get back, I drink that, and honestly, you know, I it. You, you'll know the feeling there from you know being someone who loses a lot of salt and stuff the difference is that energy for the rest of the day to feel like I've, i'm recovering properly because if you then if you let it linger and you don't really you have, oh, I'll have a glass of water and then some food later and then you just your energy level just declines your recovery is so much compromised and that's because it's it's proven you know that extra sodium pulls the fluid into your bloodstream it gets you it gets your blood volume back up again you don't have those light-headed dizzy feelings and that sort of thing it's yeah. it is a no-brainer and it, it just you it just you just need to basically get in the habit of it to, to feel the difference and it makes all the difference in the world if you if you actually plan on doing another session either the same day or you know you get done in that late afternoon and you and you're going to end up waking up early and doing a, a early morning session you know, if you're inside, if you're going to do another training session inside that 12 to, you know, even 18 hour window, like you've got to make sure that when you finish, especially a long, hot session to rehydrate and prepare for the next one, you're, you're not going to get it all back in that preload that 60 to 90 minutes before you're not going to get it all back that quickly. So making sure that you do get done with the session and immediately start the rehydration process is, is, uh, as much as preloading is a game changer. That is also a game changer. Yeah. And the, and the temptation then is if you're not prepared is just to just smash a load of water. And then what happens is you end up, you know, after a while, that is when you just end up running to the bathroom because you've already depleted your body of sodium. You're just diluting it further and it won't thank you for that. So yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is a really important point. Yeah. 
Awesome. You got anything else, Funston? No, I think uh, that nails pretty much. Yeah, I think that was uh, pretty informative. A lot of a lot of really good information there. Uh, a lot of actionable stuff. Uh, man, Andy, we appreciate your time, man. Appreciate oh, I'm just sorry. Remind sorry, I can't be there on the couch with you, fellas. Hey, <laughs> hey, things will calm down. You'll be back. Be back in no time. Do yourself a favor and go to precisionhydration.com. You, there's a place to sign up for your newsletter, right, on the uh, site? Is, yeah, they have yeah. Uh, a ton of good content that they put out. Possibly uh, the I, most informative newsletter uh, in in endurance performance and sport performance in general uh, you know, out there. So. Uh, yeah, hi, everyone encouraged. hates uh, everyone hates spam, but this is this is by no means spam spam emails. Yeah, so. your guys' stuff is like the one that I always read, as opposed to a lot of uh, newsletters I get that just go straight to the delete. trash. So delete. I'm always looking to see what kind of cool little gift thing you guys got going too. <laughs> I like the one with the sweat out of the armpit the other day. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one, Dave. <laughs> Dave and the Dave and the crew who put that newsletter together with us are. A, a game. They bring their A game every week. Yeah, yeah they're good. They're good for sure. All right, Andy, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. Always good chatting with you. We yeah, appreciate. Good, good to see you, fellas. We appreciate everyone hanging out, listening, watching. We'll catch you guys next time. Adios. Peace.